Welcome to CFCR Punch Radio. Uh, this week we are gonna get a little political. It's not something that we usually do, but um, given the climate currently, um, it certainly affects pop culture and everything we do. So we thought that we would try to be good allies. And the feedback that I've kind of received for like, what can I do to help this situation is just be quiet, listen and learn. And uh, I've tried to do that my, the best way we can. And I think we all have. So we're gonna give you some of our favorite things, some of our favorite marginalized artists in music, in books, in movies, and uh, hopefully uh, it will expand your mind the same way that it has for us. So I'm going to throw it over to Craig first. Uh, you want to speak about the music scene. Is that right? I do. I'm going to actually quickly first, uh, I'm throwing this in last second, but uh, I, I won't give away Hank's thing, but he inspired me a little bit uh, with his choice. And so I have a different choice uh, that I just wanted to quickly mention for a local thing. I'm going to talk about uh, black musical artists, but locally uh, I've got this book called Starlight Tour. And it's uh, The Last Lonely Night of Neil Stonechild by uh, Suzanne Reber and Robert Renaud. And it's the story of the Starlight Tours uh, years ago when uh, members of the police were taking Aboriginal men outside of the city and dumping them off just to sort of teach them a lesson. But you can't really do that when it's minus 40. And so it, you know, involved uh, some uh, deaths and some other, you know, near deaths. Uh, and so it's just a really great book that for those people that go, oh, there's no racism in Canada or Saskatoon, it's like, just read a book like this. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna talk about uh, music. And uh, one of the things that we've also heard in the last few days is that like, you know, you can, uh, you know, as an ally, we can and sort of lift up those black voices. So I wanted to give you some, some albums that really meant something to me. So there's so much good music out there, obviously, from black musicians. There's, I obviously couldn't even scratch the surface of it. And a lot of my mu favorite music from white musicians, like the Rolling Stones and stuff, was completely stolen from black musicians. So, uh, but I thought I'd talk about a few albums and what they mean to me. So there's obviously great stuff like Aretha Franklin, uh, James Brown, Isaac Hayes, Wu-Tang Clan, Sam Cooke. But I think of uh, when I was a young whippersnapper on the prairie, uh, maybe like, you know, grade 10 or something. And there was a slew of albums that came out that, um, you know, people are saying now like, oh, I didn't even realize this police brutality and stuff like that was a thing or that, you know, that there were these kind of, uh, you know, marginalized voices in American black culture. And to me, there was a couple of albums that just make that, whole thought asinine because they found us they found this white kid on the prairie teenage white kid uh you know thousands of miles away from where they were and where they were sending out records uh with you know some of them very purposeful messages and some of them just sort of talking about what they saw so uh one of the big ones was nwa straight out of compton uh obviously a you know they were all they they had a, a song called f the police that was you know quite controversial in its time and, and still is. Uh, but the, what, you know, what people used to say about them is like, oh, you're glorifying, you know, uh, this crime and this gangster lifestyle. And their response to that was like, no, 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 we're just talking about what we see when we look out our front window, right? And, uh, and sure, that might be rough around the edges. And they were teenagers when they were writing this stuff too. But uh, to me, it was like, it was a transmission from another place on earth in North America, in America, in Compton, in LA, that really just showed me like, whoa, the world is like, 
you know, there's different things going on in the world and these people have uh, different uh, struggles and, and different, uh, you know, a, a vastly different lifestyle than I enjoyed as a comfortable, you know, white kid in a reasonably affluent uh, suburb. So uh, the other one that's really along that line, I should actually say first also Ice Cube uh, separately with like America is spelled KKK. Uh, but Public Enemy was another huge one for me, right? Like I learned about everything from like slavery to, you know, you think you're supposed to learn about that stuff in school and history books. I learned about it from Chuck D, man. Like, uh, you know, just something like, you know, the, for 400 years, there were slave ships bringing slaves from Africa across to America. That's something I didn't learn in a textbook. I learned it on a Public Enemy record. And that's just one sentiment of like so many, uh, including something like Fight the Power, uh, you know, being an anthem for the kind of things that are going on right now, and that you could use your voice to, you know, to rise up and, and, and change the status quo. So uh, I would have to also mention, uh, this is more modern, but I mean, sort of along similar lines, uh, Run the Jewels. Uh, which is Killer Mike, who is an African-American man, and then LP, who's a white guy. But uh, they they rap about fun stuff, and they have all kinds of banger tunes. But, like, when they want to, they will light the place on fire with an incendiary message. Uh, there's a great song called Close Your Eyes and Count to F-Word, uh, which also features Zach De La Rocha from Rage Against the Machine. And, like, man, that song is just, like, it's just, it's just such a... Uh, beautiful piece of anger really uh and they they just dropped a new album this week it's supposed to come out today uh last week actually sorry uh, it was supposed to come out last week they dropped it a couple of days early just because of what's going on it's called rtj4 and it's free so you can go download download that one for free uh and then a couple of quick other mentions that aren't really to do with uh you know anything uh too drastic i have to mention Michael Jackson's Thriller as a young boy uh, growing up in Alberta and Saskatchewan. I was probably in about grade four when that came out and it just like, it just changed my world completely. And the other one that uh, I guess actually does have some activism to it is Marvin Gaye, What's Going On? Uh, just to me, uh, something like Inner City Blues, Make Me Wanna Holler, uh, just like, yeah, man, that song, it's not only beautiful and he's beautiful, beautiful man with a beautiful voice, but uh, just the messages in that song too. Sometimes he's talking about environmental issues and sometimes he's talking about uh, civil rights movement and stuff like that. And it's just like genius. So, uh, you know, check out any of those five uh, acts that I named and you will be in for a treat. Send that boy off to die. Oh, 
Those are those are all good picks. I think something that you said um, that resonated with me is that, like through art, whether it's music or you know it's graphic art or written form or poetry or whatever art form it is, it gains us an, an accessibility to someone else's existence that is completely different than our own, and often open our opens our eyes to issues that we didn't even know existed because you know, our, our day to day is completely different. And so that's why I think it's so important that art gets shared and that like these voices are heard. Um, I want to spend my time on an anthology. It's called This Place, 150 Years Retold. Uh, it came out within the last couple of years and it's an anthology of stories from Canada um, about uh, the like indigenous existence. And it, it's almost like a textbook in a certain way where it's like bef before each story there's it's a collection of about 10 different stories but they're in a chronology that you um it gives you little pieces before each story of like what was happening historically in canada with the indian act with the war with whatever things were happening so that you, you have this whole spacing of different stories of canadian experiences from an indigenous point of view and some are true and based on real people and some are more composites of existence but they're they're all very moving um obviously different writers and different artists on each piece some are better than others some are more compelling some definitely make you want to like jump in and uh, learn more about it um but there's some really really great stuff in here uh the reason why i actually picked this up is i got it at sask expo um i bought it because um GMB Chamachuk had a table there. He's been coming for the last couple of years. He's an awesome artist and writer and he has a piece in here um, that was especially moving and uh, I really, really enjoyed it. And I really would recommend this. It, it really should almost be in the class 
classroom to go along with all the other texts that you know we learn about. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about um, Louis Riel. There's um, a version of his story that's done by Chester Brown, which is excellent. Uh, it really does give you way more facts about how people in the West were totally exploited by the government just so they could get their railway built um, and a little bit more about his background. But I, I didn't want to include him just here because like, I mean, he's a white dude, um, you know, writing this story from, so it's kind of imposed and that gets a little bit, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to go there today. Like I said, well, I'm not, I don't want to be too political with this. I just want to share great work that people should read and look at and expand their horizons with. So if you can get your hands on a copy of this anthology, it is a wonderful, beautiful read. Um, and I think uh, it'll give you accessibility to a point of view that maybe you wouldn't otherwise have. All right. Who wants to go next? Hank, you have a book that you want oh, to talk about. I, I yeah? do have a book. Uh, before I start, Craig, who wrote that uh, book that you showed at the start? Uh, Suzanne Reber and Robert Renaud. Cool. Um, the book that I want to talk about is called uh, Just Another Indian, uh, A Serial Killer in Canada's Indifference by Warren Golding. Has uh, anybody heard of John Martin Crawford, the serial killer? Convicted I have. In I've read that book, so. Oh, I. Good, then the rest of you should read this book because most people don't know that Saskatoon had a very prolific serial killer. And the point of this book and the point that they're trying to, one of the many points they're trying to make is, well, why doesn't anybody know about him? Well, the reason is because he was murdering Aboriginal women. And so that didn't really hit the radar for anybody. And the question is, why? Why is everybody indifferent to that? Because if it was a bunch of white women that were being murdered, well, that would have been front page news. That would have been news across Canada. But because it wasn't, and it took a long time to convince, uh, convict this guy, but the book actually goes through the entire process from figuring out who this guy was all the way up to his arrest and his conviction. Uh, he's still in jail serving three life sentences. I think he's in jail in Saskatchewan. Um, but just another Indian. Um, you got it. You got to read. I uh, read it, reread it, I guess, uh, a few weeks ago and then started talking to my oldest child about it, not going into too much detail about the actual murders themselves, but just starting to pose a few questions. Because even in school, she's learning about um, the Underground Railroad and she's starting on a few things to do with slavery. And then they've talked a lot about First Nations people and the struggle that they have gone through. So I started to talk about this and some of the things about why nobody cared. And that's, uh, you got to read it. You got to read it. Yeah, it's a brilliant uh, book. Um, it's oh. really well written, not only from just like a historical point of view of like what transpired, um, but it really does grab you. And it, it, if you like true crime drama stuff, it, it's perfect for that. But it's also, well, again, it opens your eyes to some things that are going on in our own backyard, which are horrific and that we should all know about. And all of, of course, the setting in here is places we've all been to before. We've all heard of all of these places. And honestly, until I got the book the first time, uh, I think it was first or second year university, I had never heard of this at all. Mm, bleak. Uh, sounds like something that could be a very interesting concept album. And being as I may be in a band or two, this might be something that could be put to music in a really cool artsy kind of way. It's interesting <laughs> that you would bring up that because 
another book that I thought about talking about tonight was uh, Secret Path, which was the Gord Downey uh, mm. and Jeff Lemire compilation where he tells the story of a, of a boy who escapes from a residential school. Uh, and that's based on a true story too. So yeah, it's been done, but not with this story. So Brennan, get busy with your pen. Do it. All right. Well, Brennan, why don't you continue on now? Uh, you want to talk about some other um, comics and graphic novels that uh, are, are perfect for this subject. For sure. So, um, and I, I wanted to make sure that it was things that I've actually read. I didn't want to just Google African-American comic artists or, you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, this person. So um, I grabbed a few things off my shelf that um, I think people should check out that are, are really worth looking into. Um, the first one I actually mentioned once before, uh, and it's by Michael Nicole, and I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, I apologize, but Yagulanas, and it's a graphic novel called Red, a Haida manga. So it's a manga book, which is based on a traditional Haida Gwaii story um, about uh, a happening in a, uh, a tribe when this person's sister is kidnapped and he goes and tries to save her. Um, uh, Michael Yagulanas is actually he lived in Haida Gwaii, and so he's Haida. Um, and the art is absolutely amazing. So it's this combination of uh, kind of like traditional looking Haida art with this very manga kind of look to it, uh, very kind of watercolor-esque. Uh, I know the listeners can't see it, but I just held it up so the people that are listening can, so my, my fellow hosts can see it. Um, and at the very end of the book, it's unveiled that if you take the entire book and you put all the pages in order, it actually makes one large scale art piece. Ooh, so cool. it's really creative, creatively done. It's really distinct. Um, and again, it's based to hide a story based on someone who lived there, who's uh, Haida Gwaii themselves. So for some Canadian content, check out Red, a Haida manga. Um, another one I want to talk about is a book called uh, Genius, written by Mark Bernardin, Adam Freeman, and Afua Richardson. Um, and the premise of Genius is what if the next what if the world's best military specialist just happened to be a 17-year-old girl that is from Harlem or the Bronx? Harlem, I think. Um, and so she basically takes this whole area of her town under siege and keeps the army away um, as, this, as this young genius girl. Um, the art is, is excellent. Mark Bernardin, um, he does a podcast with uh, Kevin Smith, uh, the Fat Man Beyond podcast, which used to be called Fat Man and Batman. Um, and he was a writer. Uh, he did reports for the New York Times and things and Entertainment Weekly. Yeah, it's, it's excellent. Uh, Afua Richardson is an African-American uh, female artist who does the artwork. Uh, it's a really cool, beautiful-looking, um, action-packed kind of crime spy book. Um, and the last one I want to mention is Bitterroot, which is written by David Walker uh, and Sanford Green. And it's 1920s in Harlem, and there's... Uh, the Renaissance is in full swing, swing music is happening, and the uh, Sangria family is defending Harlem from these supernatural forces that want to destroy the world. So um, they have technology that no one else does, as well as they can tune into using magic and things to stop these creatures from invading humanity. But of course, because they're African-American. If the white cops were to show up, they get in trouble for it. So, so Bitterroot, it's out right now, monthly. It's amazing. Entertainment Weekly called it the best new series of 2019. So there you go. So there are some picks for you to check out. They're, they're all really, really good. Okay. Thanks, Brennan. All right, Kathy, you're up next. What do you want to share with the group? Well, 
Tony and I, uh, we've been watching a lot of YouTube um, and looking into stuff that we were watching as kids and stuff like that. It's just come up on YouTube. Um, uh, so we've been watching a lot of solid gold. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. But one thing, uh, as, a, as a girl watching solid gold, they had the most beautiful dancers. And, you know, there's so many girls that I just wanted to be that girl. If I could only dance like that, if I could only have legs that went up to my neck, that would be the best. There's one, uh, one solid gold dancer who she's had the most amazing hair. And as somebody who has like long, straight hair, um, she had this fantastic mane of dark curly hair. Um, I'm going to show everybody a picture if you don't know who this is. This is Darcel Leonard Wynn. Um, she was married to Glenn Leonard of The Temptations. She was one of the original solid gold dancers. She's um, an amazing choreographer. She became the backbone of solid gold dancers, which I think a lot of people, when they think of solid gold, they think of like white girls in skinny costumes and stuff like that. But all that was like put together a lot by her. And I, I just think she's absolutely amazing. She's also the first celebrity to read um, David Letterman's top 10 list. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting Darcel Leonard Wynn fact. Awesome. Yeah, so we're going to talk more about Solid Gold next week, but I just wanted to shout out to her because she's an amazing woman. I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about uh, Love and Rockets. Love and Rockets is a comic that came out in 1980. Um, it, to me, was not the first comic I read, but it was definitely one that was most influential. It um, had two ongoing stories about Latino characters, so Saskatoon, Saskatchewan is not um, kind of place that you probably, you know, would buy underground comics, but and independent comics. So they were kind of hard to get. But when I found them, uh, I always enjoyed them immensely. So it's, it's, it's brought a lot uh, to my life where I felt, it's just brought a lot culturally to my life as well. Um, so uh, Jaime and Gilbert Hernandez started uh, writing Love and Rockets 1980. Uh, then they were picked up by Fantagraphics. And they started publishing it in 1982. Basically what happens is there's two ongoing stories um, that brings two different uh, takes to what's going on. Um, one of them is uh, Gilbert uh, focuses his stuff on a fictional uh, American village of Palomar. Now, the comics are black and white, uh, but they're definitely the prettiest thing you've ever seen. Gilbert draws a lot of stuff that's very sexy. Um, so his stuff has a, has a lot more sex and sex appeal to it. Uh, Jaime focuses more on um, friends and lovers of Maggie and Hopi, uh, two uh, girls who live together, love each other, and then their lives together. The thing that brings me most to Love and Rockets is in 19, probably 85, I started listening to a band called Love and Rockets. And I didn't know anything really about the comics. Um, but you know, when you love a band, you think, oh, this is interesting, and you start reading the comics. So it's completely different than the band. Uh, and the band actually took its name from the, the comics themselves. And um, when I started reading it, I kind of, the, um, I, I really felt like I was in a different place because I didn't know much about, you know, uh, Los Angeles and I uh, didn't know much about uh, Latin America. Uh, I just really felt like it was someplace that I'd never, you know, I didn't read in comics. It wasn't superheroes and it wasn't something that I would normally read. Uh, it wasn't black and white. Uh, so it, it's an amazing book. Um, there's some science fiction in it. 
Um, a lot of stories are, are based um, uh, with these characters getting older. So they start off at the beginning of the series as younger, and they get older, which is you know something you don't see in, in comics and um, and deaths. There's deaths in the book, uh, and they're based on real real characters, and it, it's fun to uh, fun to fun to read, and the art is amazing. Um, now Gilbert is my favorite. He's the one who does all the sexy stuff. I like the sexy stuff. Um, he does uh, definitely some questionable other books that uh, I find uh, that you can go up there and buy. Uh, but what he does, he has this Fritz. Fritz is kind of this uh, actress, um, kind of a B-movie actress. He actually writes about Fritz. Uh, and when he writes about her, he writes about her in movies. So it's actually books about her and the movies. So you'll actually get um, uh, Chances in Hell, Troublemakers, Love from the Shadows. These are actually books uh, comics that he's read or that he's written and it's about Fritz being in movies. So it's a comic character being in movies in the book and it's amazing. Uh, and then he does one called Speak of the Devil, which is the true story behind the movies that he's actually done. So uh, Lemon Rockets, there's 50 issues at the beginning and then there's been two scenes since. Uh, and uh, it started off in the punk scene and this is uh, every interview I've ever seen with either one of the brothers has always said that most of their stories and the influence of this magazine has always been the punk rock scene in the 80s. That's amazing that a comic has been going on for like 40 years and is still ongoing. Yeah, still ongoing. They stopped for a couple of years because of, uh, there was I guess some just changes in the, you know, what the brothers were doing in their lives and then they start up again, so. And Megan, Hopi, even like they started out as pretty young, sexy women in clothes, small clothes or whatever, but now they're actually still in the comic as as older ladies, which is kind of neat. Like like our age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Older, yeah. older ladies that would be our age, <laughs> yeah. yes. Which is a lot of fun. And then there's new stuff coming out too. Like uh, other than Lemon Rockets, uh, Gilbert Nanz has just put a book out, a comic, called, comic just came out called Psychodrama, uh, which uh, just came out, which is an amazing read. It's very confusing. Uh, most of the stuff is it jumps around quite a bit, but if you're interested in Eleven Rockets, there's all kinds of things. Uh, he did Sloth, there's Heartbreak Soup, Human Dystrophosism, which I can't pronounce. <laughs> what? <laughs> what is that? What? Distro. <laughs> I don't, I can't read your writing. I can't read my writing either. How's that? Okay, anyway. So yeah, so that's pretty impressive. And uh, as far as, um, yeah, as far as comics go, it's definitely my favorite. All right, well, thanks, Tony. Uh, does anybody have anything else that they would like to add or suggest before we wrap up this episode? No. no. Okay, well, that's easy. Well, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we hope that you have enjoyed some of our suggestions and we'll post all of our, uh, uh, the things that we talked about and some of the pictures that we showed each other on our Facebook page so that you can see what we were looking at uh, if you wanna follow up on some of these awesome leads. Uh, Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. We will, uh, as we said, talk a little bit about solid gold and the dancers amongst other great pop culture topics. So in the meantime, keep your dukes up. 